meditation of, of his heart on the word of God. Lord, would you use him? Would you touch our hearts? Would you deposit truth, life, and the spirit that is the word of God into our hearts? So I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You want to control this? When I, when I first saw the topic in the year planner, I thought this is uh, something that I would like to go in and uh, work at and think through for myself some of the challenges that this passage posed. And the topic is pleading for justice, Micah chapter 2 and 3. And then to, to, in order for us to understand this pleading for justice and what these two chapters entails, allow me to just walk a little bit of uh, context, uh, give you a sense of introduction, give you a sense of uh, background. I'm going to reel back a little bit. And uh, there are five major themes in the Bible that you must be familiar with as you understand the heart of God. Now, one of them is that God desires that His gospel, His good news is to be proclaimed, the good news of salvation. The second theme that runs through very deep is the teaching and the discipling of His people. And this is something very clear coming out from Scripture. And the third thing, and in the, re in the recent years, it comes again and again, it comes and it evolves around God the Creator, that we are to be good stewards of God's creation and the resources that He has given to us. And the fourth theme that is very strong also is the compassion and mercy for the poor and needy. And the fifth one, equally strong, is what we call social justice, especially for the helpless and oppressed. And when it comes to the fifth one, it's, it's traditionally been very difficult for the Christian church to handle it. And in the last couple of decades, there are various movements from different areas in the world that try to correct what we call society evilness. God demands that His people show social concern to all, especially to those who are poor, needy, and helpless. And we cannot fend, who cannot fend for themselves, He commands His people to care, and it's evident. And one of the passages that you will see is in Deuteronomy, the whole of chapter 29, 30, 31, 32, in, also in Exodus chapter 22. Failure to do so would first and foremost weaken the nation that failed to do so by affecting the social fabric. And more importantly, it will affect the nation's relationship with God. So this is point number one. You need to understand that sense. And when you come to Micah 2 and 3, then you know the severe language that God will use in the terms of judgment. Second point, the nation of Israel had their best years during the reign of David and Solomon. And it stretches over a period of close to 80 years. David reigned for 40 years and Solomon reigned for about 40 years too. And during these 80 years, the nation prospered. This prosperity can be seen in the accumulation of wealth under David's reign. Just David's reign alone. He set aside more than US 
200 billion. What we today would be equivalent, huh? 200 dollars, uh, 200 US billion for the, the construction of the temple. If you go back to Second Chronicles, you would see and you count the amount of gold, the silver. I, I, I haven't even counted the number of brass, the iron and the wood and everything inside. And the labor is not even counted. He has already set aside 200 billion US dollars. He basically handed over this wealth to his son, who then constructed the temple, Solomon, Solomon constructed the temple at the fourth year of his reign. Can you imagine, if you read Second Chronicles also, you will find that Solomon itself during his reign, prosperity reigns. And from the end of Solomon's time to Micah's message, it's about 200 years has transpired. And the events of this 18th century BC produces two classes of people one, very affluent. Second, a poor class that suffered at the hands of the rich. Burdened by the abusive treatment of the poor, the prophet Micah rebukes anyone who uses social status or political power for personal gain. The prophet continues to denounce the corrupt practices of the affluent and the influential classes who holds the structure of society. Over the years, for me, working with the poor, I've seen conditions that I find many times very hard to accept. Poverty is not the result of people just being lazy. There are so many other factors. And today, one of the factors is being addressed by Micah. Sorry, I just covered the background. Let, let me go to the first point. What I see today is no different as in Micah's time. My point number one is Israel's sin. Here, Micah's highlight one of the major causes of poverty. It's caused by systems and structures installed by their leaders. And these leaders, there are two categories. And the first category that we are going to look at is really the category called the political leaders. And the passages I will take surrounds this whole issue. I'm not going to read the two chapters continuously, but I'm going to join it in such a way that I think you would, at least for me, I find it easier to understand and hopefully for yourself. So I'm going to read Micah chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Micah chapter 2, verse 8 and 11. Micah chapter 3, verse 1 to 3, and then Micah 3, 9 to 11. And joining this, you, set, you get a sense of what the Lord is addressing to the, to the political leaders especially. And it starts, Micah chapter 2, verse 1. Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. At the morning light, they carried it out because it is in their power to do so. They covered fields and seized them, and houses and take them. They defraud a man of his home, a fellow man of his inheritance. Verse 8. Lately my people have risen like an enemy. You strip off the rich robes from those who pass by without a care, like men returning from battle. 
You drive the women of my people from their pleasant homes. You take away my blessings from their children forever. Get up, go away, for this is not your resting place, because it is defiled, it is ruined beyond all remedy. If a liar and a deceiver comes and say, I will prophesy for you plenty of beer and wine, he would just be the prophet for this people. Micah chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. Listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, should you not know justice, you who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin and break their bones in pieces, who chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot. How descriptive. Makes me cringe when I see Micah describing it like that. Micah chapter 3, verse 9 to 11. Hear this, you leaders of the house of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a, for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. You get a sense of this language that is very, very strong. And my meditation is this. And as I go around and, and as I see, evil is planned. And evil is thought through. And often evil is deliberate. And in our recent histories, we can see and evil is structural also. And worse, evil is systemic. Evil is cruel and merciless and often done by unfair legal actions. Theft, oppression, bloodshed, bribery, all these done under a veneer of rightness covered by what we call law and justice. I'd like to point three things that I, that I see over the years and some of them disturb me and some far away and some near home. Let me point you to the first one. This is a Brooklyn in Pakistan. I, was, I visited quite a few of them and this is one of those that I visited recently and managed to get very near to it. And let me show you another one. Oh, this is flipped the other way around, huh? sorry. Supposed to be turned. This, this is the whole family at work. Sorry about that. Okay, let me flip you to another one. This is how the woman would make the Brooklyn. The entire family borrowed money and then thereafter have to pay back. And because they couldn't pay back, the entire family goes to bonded slavery to pay back 
they have to make 500 bricks a day, which is equivalent to about six US dollars. And it takes from sunrise to sunset. And then with a little bit of extra to pay off the loan. And this will drag on for months. And in a situation or like this, the families will then resort to another borrowing. And that borrowing will continually repeat this cycle. This is a home. It's quite interesting. And uh, this is how a home of six to eight people look like. And in the summertime, the temperature here is about 45 degrees Celsius to 52. And being near the Brickland, where the fire is, is really quite something. I went there in October where the breeze is nice and the temperature is 25. Saddened me to look at it and constantly pushed me, as it were, looking at what we need to do. Second scene, let me bring nearer home. In the last couple of years, myself, pastor, and a few others in the church has constantly come across people who borrowed money from finance companies outside the church, inside the church. And you have many advertisements today. You see easy money, all kinds of things. The structure to these loans allowed by the law today with certain grey areas are very painful for many families who are caught inside. Pastor and I have one conclusion. Uh, the hope of this company is that these people don't repay their loan and continually service it month after month. Sometimes in my prayer, I do not know how to pray, but I will certainly pray that the judgment of God will come, that any profit made from this means, I wait to sit next to God to see judgment executed for the lives and families that have been destroyed and suffered. I hold the view that money must be made rightly and not wrongly. And any such way will bring disaster to the families because the money that we earn in this way will feed the children that we love. God cannot be pleased, let me tell you. And I will read some passages and many times I, I, I will wonder when will judgment come. The Lord assured me again and again the day will come where all the wrong God will write. And it will be very painful for those involved. Scene number three. Many of the migrants that come here, more than a million today, that build this nation with their hard labor, have to borrow money to come, whether our helpers, whether the ones who, wrote, who work on construction sites. I know it's not 
easy to solve this problem and to see them working $2 a day to $3 a day. The structure is such that these people will have to work overtime, 12 hours a day, just to pay back and work for six months to pay back the loan and hope to stay. My estimate, I sat down and calculated at least eight years in Singapore to gain back and to go home with a piece of land and a house. But 10 years of 12 hours of work and the risk that comes with it. It hurts me. How is it that things can go so bad for a nation like Israel? How is it? And Micah nailed it deeply. And he says, when the leaders of the people, plus the religious leaders, do not perform what they are asked or what they are called to do, or what they are elected to do. The leaders do not lead with righteousness, and the priests and prophets preach and teach only for money. And this lays something deep in my own heart for this church in PPH. Myself being a deacon, myself being also a full-time worker, the responsibility that rests on our shoulders are great and also the grace of God is sufficient. We need to exercise great care for all of us, including me, when we select our leaders, when we select both the country leaders and the church leaders, and pray, certainly, that we do so carefully and thoughtfully. Second question I ask myself is, how is it that the leaders do not see their action as evil in the days of Micah? I ask, could it be that the leaders do not believe the information or the data of suffering they gathered, they see presented to them as they walk on the streets? Or they don't think that their actions are that bad? They receive affirmation from their other friends who are rich. What they are doing is fine. And hence, their conscience is okay. Or could it be that they have a good end in mind and they strive to get to it and the process of getting there is not so critical? Or could it be that they have loved evil and believe it to be right and hated what is good? And of all the four, Micah chose the last. And he tells the rulers, despise justice, distort all that is right, hated good, and love evil. And I say, how did a person ever come to this? How can a leader in his mind ever come to this? Many of the times I looked, and it must be that the end justifies the means. What deals with the end points, you know? The end itself is more precious. When we arrive there, everything is fine. But to God, how and what 
is equally important and how we do it. And so many evils today are caused by very noble causes with very funny way of executing it. I suspect that many of these evil ways are caused by disappointments, hurts, injustices done to them, these leaders themselves, sometime in their lives. And this pain later turned to poison. And this poison later turned to hatred with a great determination to right the wrongs that they have suffered under. In my five hours of waiting, flying back from the Philippines, I read newspaper and on, I think it was Thursday, Asian Wall Street Journal, the newspaper, and there was an article of the Syrian war and the Chechen things. And there's one leader that has emerged out of it and reading it sends goose pimples of all this in, that is happening there, this, this leader, a Chechen guy leading it in Syria is one of the most evil and the ways of punishment. And trace to his life is exactly what I said. Once upon a time, he was a soldier in the Russian army, hurt. And when he finished his turn, got sick, he was abandoned. And then when he's well, something happened, he was jailed. And upon early release, he then ran and left the country. And soon years later, emerged this person who is a very tactical soldier, but an evil heart today. Second group of people, to make matters worse, the religious leaders of the days are teachers of God's word who preaches what the people wants to hear. Peace, prosperity, inspiring, encouraging messages. But the absence in the message of the hours is truth, godliness, holiness, humility. They preach for a price. They put their own welfare first rather than the nations. And the Word of God has this to say about these prophets and teachers, of which I belong to this category. Do not prophesy, their prophet says. Do not prophesy about these things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Should it be said, O house of Jacob, is the Spirit of the Lord angry? Does he do such things? Do not my words do good to him whose ways are upright? Micah chapter 3, verse 3 to 5. Micah chapter 3, verse 5. As for the prophets who lead my people astray, if one feeds them, they proclaim peace. If he does not, they, they prepare to war against him. The leaders of the people literally rob the nation, enriching themselves. And in the process, the, the, these religious leaders just stand by, preaching peace and prosperity instead of messages of warning and of a call to repentance. They gave their consent 
for the leaders to continue their ways. The rise of Hitler just prior to World War II was a series of events that led to it. It's not a making of a year, but a making of many, of some years. I won't say many years, some years. And in the midst of it, the church has to take a stand. And the leaders crumble and basically followed. And one of those young men in the early 20s saw this. And while studying for his PhD in theology in England or in US, decided to return just before the World War II started. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he decided to stand in the midst of this ugly world, millions being massacred systematically and simply. And Hitler has a one difficult problem, how to dispose of the body when you deal with the millions. And it was difficult. And Dietrich was one of the few Christian leaders that dared to stand up in this midst of time. And he paid his price. He was caught. And just before the World War II ended, he was executed. Some of his books have very interesting flavour. And if you read it in that context, brings Christianity nearer to home. And I was a young believer age 17, 18, when I first come across his book, The Cause of Discipleship. And the book of it was very, the cover is very funny. It's a hangman's loop, pink colour. Very funny colour. <laughs> Could never forget the book as I read it. Two extremes today faces the full-time workers. The pastors, the prophets. One extreme is this. Pastors and shepherds without or very little support. I have personally seen many of such serving with hardly enough to support themselves, their families, and often their children and their wives pay the price of their service and commitment. Some of the children grew up bitter in their hearts that their fathers gave more time to others than them. They hardly see their fathers and their homes have very little and they feel that they are always at the mercy of someone else's charity and generosity. I've seen the pains and many days I've gone to bed knowing that my own children have enough and these and theirs, those I know, struggle. Over the years, I've also learned and continue to learn to give generously, same time joyfully, especially to my fellow pastors and servants of the Lord, those I stood with, those I served with, their families and their welfare have a special place in my heart. Let me share with you a very painful story as one of the pastors one day share with me in confidence a story of him walking by a shop one day and he was holding the hand of his son 
And the son walked by and saw a toy and really wanted to buy. Father could see. The father reached out into his pocket, pulled out. It's not enough money. And he had to say to his son, son, not possible. Father could never forget that scene. And the pain in his own heart, I believe, is much more painful than the pain in the child's heart. To know that this very little thing that he could have done and most fathers could have, he could not. I talk to some pastors about their children and when I know them better, I talk more personally. One of the things I would always ask them is the education of their children and how they hope to see it happen. Let me share with you another story. This story is a much more nicer one to hear than the first one. There's a place called Faulara in Timor-Leste, and there is a pastor by the name of Pastor Masa. And every time I visit Timor-Leste, if I chance and I made my way up the mountains for two hours, and I sit down with him, it's always very nice to see this pastor and talk with him and and, and discuss. Every time when the conversation ends and I'm ready to go home, this pastor's home is just the ground, not cemented. Leaves, branches for the house, very common. Every time I leave the place, without fail, I've never seen it happen once this way. I will always leave with a chicken in my hand. I mean, not, I didn't hold it, put it in the car and then drove back. Always something, you know, he goes to the garden, he will take his jungle, he will jungle up something, you know, and it will be sweet potato or tapioca or whatever it is, he will bundle up something. And I can never leave his place empty-handed. What a pastor, huh? This one extreme, dealing with the servants of the Lord. Let me tell you the other extremes. When pastors and shepherds of God's people preach for money. When their extravagant lifestyle supported by their congregation, something very painful to see. I'm not there to understand the thinking and whatever behind it. But these two ends brings upon many different things upon the church of God. For me as a servant, I must take heed and from time to time, I must choose a message like pleading for justice because it's very difficult to preach. I'm thinking next year to take on a message, Lazarus and the rich man. This is my way of putting myself on the edge that I do not preach nice messages only, but they are difficult ones I must handle. I'm a keen advocate of what it means to live below what one can afford. To do so not only frees us to share with those who don't have but I believe this orientation in life 
not only saves our friends, but saves us from many troubles that beseech the affluent and the rich and the more than enough. So over the years, Chen and I have digged in into our savings and seen certain Christian leaders that we know, that we walk with, that they have gone to the front of the field and serve, oftentimes without home, nearing their retirement. We will take out and we will loan, interest-free, to say, build your house. Send your son to school. I have a good roof, a nice bed to sleep in. And those who serve with me must also enjoy the simple, basic amenities of life. I've seen those I've served with never dare to bring me to their homes. And many times those I will insist in going to their homes. And upon entering their homes, I see what kind of servant, what kind of pastors, what kind of missionaries they are. I know what I do is only a drop in the ocean of needs there are so many, but necessary because it keeps me on the edge. I have also over the years been thinking and still working through and hopefully find some interesting answers of how to equip pastors with skills of livelihood, resourcing them as they preach the word in one of the most remotest places. This has always been in my heart. Not an easy message. Huh? I struggle very, very hard. I know I miss some funerals. I miss some weddings. I told my wife, I said, I needed time to work this one. Very hard message for me to write. Point number two, Israel's judgment. For this, the Lord meet out the following judgment. And I like to take it from Micah chapter 2, verse 3 to 5, Micah chapter 3, verse 6 to 7, and then Micah chapter 3, verse 12. And these are the three series of judgment. I want to pack it together so that you get a sense as you read. Chapter 2, verse 3. Therefore, the Lord says, I am planning disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourself. You will no longer walk proudly, for it will be a time of calamity. In that day, men will ridicule you. They will taunt you with this mournful song. We are utterly ruined. My people's possession is divided up. He takes it from me. He assigns our fields to traders. Therefore, you will have no one in the assembly of the Lord to divide the land by lot. How painful, huh? The Lord says, I'm planning disaster. And when it comes, 
there is no salvation. Chapter 3, verse 6 to 7. Therefore, night will come over you without visions and darkness without divination. The sun will set for the prophets and the day will go dark for them. The seers will be ashamed and the diviners disgrace and they will all cover their faces because there is no answer from God. Micah chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, because of you, Zion, will be ploughed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble, a temple hill, a mount overgrown with thickets. Many times I wonder, as I share with you, how the evil are not punished. But they are, and they will. And God's patience must not be seen except through the lens of mercy and grace. And when the limits are crossed, the judgment of God is fiery and terrible. If you have time, these are the passages of Scripture that the psalmist Peter themselves struggle with and as they wrote. And let me end with this on this second point. My dear brothers and sisters in the Lord, do not be disturbed by God's patience. His silence does not mean He did not see. He is waiting. And when His judgment comes, know this, there is no mercy and help them. We do not understand the events today, the many things that flows in the history of mankind, what they mean, but frightening to know because it is a dreadful thing. Scripture says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, to fall in the hands of a living God. Let me not end the day with uh, such terrible doom. <laughs> it makes my heart sad uh, as I worked at it. And I, I struggle and I, it's a terrible verse to finish. Chapter 3, verse 12. It's a judgment and I prefer to end with chapter 2, verse 12 to 13 instead. That there is hope for restoration. And Micah reads this here in verse 12 of chapter 2. I will surely gather all of you, O Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. The place will throng with people. One who breaks open the way will go up before them. They, they will break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass through before them the Lord at their head. Let me say this, then. In, the, in the midst of all of these, the Lord assures me and there is hope. And without hope, it's terrible to live. Really. With love, it's not possible. But with hope, all things are possible. We are not alone. There are others, and often reminded. We may feel sometimes very lonely in this journey 
like Elijah, God will remind us from time to time again, there are others like us walking quietly on earth. And God will gather His people together and will join the faithful, forming what Micah here talked about, the remnant. Here is a beautiful phrase, the remnant. Gordon McDowell and Gordon McDonald in his book, A Resilient Life, talks about the need to run our race, especially the last lap, with others. And he calls it, these others, the company of a few godly people. In our journey of faith, we really need, therefore, to run not alone, but in a company of few. These are the ones who will remind us and encourage us and spur us to do good works when it all when, when all else seems terrible and difficult. In this company of a few, I have come with courage to dream because they have given me hope to do so. They have walked with me and spurred me on to continue with good works. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians 2, verse 10. Let me end with a glimmer of hope. It's not responding to me. Okay. I told you about the Bricklin I saw. I was determined to do something different. And in the years that has come, this is the school that some of those few that have walked with me, encouraged me, worked with me, built a school that caters to children. Not all of them are poor, but a quarter of the seats are reserved. And from this school, running now in this sixth year, the school has slightly more than break even. And with the excess funds we have, I brave to do this. Again, I picture flip the other way around. This is one of the four schools that we have selected in the midst of the Bricklands. There are about 60 of such students today in this area. And adding up all these four schools today is close to about 600 of them. And the excess funds that we have is able to fund these four schools, creating education for 800 over children today for free without taxing. Running in a company of a few is important in our lives. And we must not end our life wondering, praying, but that in our journey, our hearts must be encouraged to do something, to change the structures, the systems that are, because there is hope and the Lord will lead us. Let us pray.
I allow this, some, this time silent for some of you, for all of us, to just spend quiet moments and allow the Lord to speak to us before we leave this place. The word of God says in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Father, we thank you that your word is true. And your love is always there. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for being very patient with us as we journey. And we continue to pray for that strength of yours and that grace of yours to allow us to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with you. Allow me to end with this passage. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory and majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forever. Amen. The Lord bless you.